It's midnight, the podcasting hour. your friend PJ Frightful. That's PJ as in podcast jockey. I'm just sitting here in my studio in the basement of the old abandoned radio station. You know, the one out on Old Shelby Road, the station that shut down in 2003 after the drive-time host took one too many call-ins and, well, he got a little angry. Now the station is boarded up, the outside overgrown with weeds and brambles that always look brown, even in the greenest of summer days. Inside, the only music you'll hear are the songs of the spiders and the rats, and those creatures that eat the spiders and the rats. Oh, some people say there's still music pumping out of that old dish. Every now and then you'll hear it, that song, the last song the drive-time host played before getting his shotgun. You only hear it when you get close enough to the station, though, and hardly anybody drives down old Shelby Road anymore. Even the cemetery that's conspicuously close by doesn't see much traffic these days. No one's been buried there in more than a generation. Also, there's a lake nearby, and probably some teenagers died there. It's the right setting for a new kind of podcast, a celebration of DC Comics horror heroes and anthology series. But who could host such a podcast? What tortured soul would have the dedication or the foolishness to spearhead this show? Well, I know a guy, a man with a haunted past. You know him, too. You see him every now and then at the end of the bar, crying into his glass of bourbon, muttering, Why, Roy Thomas, why? You stop and stare when he walks down the street, ambling listlessly, clutching his phone for dear life, the white strands of those earbuds blocking out the world so all he hears are repeats of superhero origin stories. The road this poor has-been walks only has one destination, an ancient asylum of his own mind where all he can do is scratch and claw for that old fading glory. You drive down this dark road until your headlights catch him in the rain. You pull up alongside him and roll down your window. You tell him, it's not over, Ryan. You can still find your joy. Pick yourself up, call your friends on Skype, and talk about some good old horror comics. He turns and looks at you. He doesn't say anything at first. You think he looks confused, but he wants to trust you. Will he join you? Will he come back to podcasting? Let's find out together. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Midnight the Podcasting Hour, a new horror anthology podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me for this inaugural episode is my good friend and fellow podcaster, Rob Kelly. How are you, Rob? 
I am thrilled to death to be here. <laughs> to see death. What I did there. Did you see what I did? Very a little, nice. A little comedy there for you, for you guys. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. I'm excited that you are so thrilled. I'm excited for us to talk about one of our favorite stories. And more than that, though, I'm excited to launch a brand new podcast talking about horror comics and on Halloween, no less. The timing could perfect out better. Yeah, exactly. For those of you wondering what Rob and I are going to be talking about and what this podcast is going to be going forward, if you followed my former show, The Secret Origins Podcast, or if you've heard the promo for this show on other podcasts, you might have some idea of what Midnight the Podcasting Hour is all about. If, however, you're tuning in with no idea what the show is about, allow me to explain. Midnight the Podcasting Hour is a celebration of DC Comics horror heroes like Swamp Thing, Dead Man, Night Force, The Spectre, The Phantom Stranger, The Demon, Madame Xanadu, and more, as well as the horror anthology series like House of Mystery, House of Secrets, The Unexpected, The Witching Hour, and Ghosts. This is a rotating anthology series, which means my guests and I will review a random DC horror story every five episodes, and in the episodes between, we'll feature the ongoing adventures of characters like Swamp Thing and the Spectre, for example. I will talk more about the format of the show in greater detail at the end of this episode, but first, Rob, what is your experience with the horror realm of DC Comics, or with horror stories in general? Uh, I've always loved horror. Uh, the first movie I can ever remember being taken to when I was five was The Omen. My parents took me to see that. Uh, <laughs> good they were, Yeah, they were good parents outside of that, that kind of <laughs> sketchy decision. But uh, no, I've always loved horror uh, ever since I was a kid and I've grown up and I loved horror. And so I like DC horror comics. I tended to be more interested in the series, the stuff you just mentioned, Swamp Thing, Phantom Stranger, The Demon, more than the anthology things. just because I think DC... By the time that I got old enough to read comics, the House of Mystery and the House of Secrets, they really kind of were not really all that scary anymore. Neil Adams and some of the other guys had moved on. And with the exception of the story we're going to cover, it was a lot more like fantasy and things like that. And Mm -hmm. it just didn't appeal to me as much. I always felt like Marvel kind of had a bit of a leg up on on DC, uh, on the horror uh, aspect of it. But I still liked it. And and, and those series were great for Mm drop-ins. You know, I mean, you didn't need to read them every month unless you were like a diehard but every so often if i had an extra 40 cents it was like oh let me see what's going on in the unexpected what's going on in house of mystery so and i was always glad they were there and i distinctly remember when i heard that house of mystery was being canceled i think i bought it for like the last year because i just didn't want it to go away even though it was a series i didn't regularly read i was sorry that they weren't going to continue with it so uh, and then i bought every issue of elvira's house of mystery which was basically just house of mystery with a different host nice um so yeah i've always had a very good fond relationship with dc horror yeah halloween was always my favorite holiday growing up um more so than christmas and i think it was just because i I don't know my older brother and my mom they just halloween seemed to be the one time of the year where you could just embrace taboos Mm -hmm. where you could sort of the idea of death and horror and you know zombies and monsters all these (laughs) things that you're supposed to be afraid of where instead you could wear that as a costume and get it and like you were supposed to try and scare each other and that all of a sudden those things weren't something to be afraid afraid of or shunned or something it was also the holiday that i was allowed to stay up late because my brother and i would always watch horror movies Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those you know like monster movies some of the first books i ever read were kids translations of dracula and the wolfman and and Frankenstein, you know, so I grew up loving those classic things. And it's funny that you mentioned that kind of Marvel had the leg up on that because the first horror comics I was reading, I remember 
a friend of mine who lived down the street, he had a cousin or somebody who stayed with him for about a week one time when I was in maybe fourth grade or something. And I think what was going on was that my friend's cousin's parents were getting divorced. So he was basically staying with my friend like just for a week or whatever while his parents dealt with their stuff. But he had a shoebox of comics. And he brought them over and just left them at my house for that week. I don't know why they stayed there. He ended, up take, <laughs> he ended up taking them away. But for a week, I just had this shoebox of comics I'd never seen before. And it was like 20 issues of Tomb of Dracula, oh. half a dozen issues of Werewolf by Night. And I think, oh, see? Yeah, yeah, I, I think there was like a Master of Kung Fu thrown in there and uh, <laughs> like one of the jungle actions with Black Panther. But those Spidey t- super stories. <laughs> exactly. What is this doing in here? But those Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night stories, I love those. And I would try to find back issues. And once the Marvel Essential volumes came out. I collected those. I eventually I sprung for the big hardcover full color omnibus editions. And I loved Man Thing, Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night, uh, Monster, Frankenstein, Vampire Tales, all those things. And while I was developing the Secret Origins podcast, I was like, you know what? When I'm done, I'm going to do a podcast just dedicated to Marvel's horror stuff. I'm collecting all these things. I'm doing research. I'm like, I'm going to do my Legion of Monsters podcast all about Marvel's horror. And the oh, how that led to this show, I can only say it was... Basically, picture yourself driving down the street, and you have a map, you have directions, and your destination means you have to turn to the right up ahead. And you look at the map, you're like, okay, yep, I'm going to turn to the right. And you look forward, yep, there's the off-ramp, I'm I'm turning right at that intersection or whatever, yep, I see where I'm going. And you get to that intersection, and you just violently spin the wheel to the left. (laughs) <laughs> like cut across traffic or whatever. It's like, uh, like it just it really abruptly it just this just morphed into okay instead of doing Marvel horror I'm doing a DC podcast and it was a couple of things kind of falling into place at the same time where I had been reading the Night Force series that Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan did at the 80s and thinking you know what that would be a nice little podcast mini series like I mm-hmm. could do that in just a couple short episodes it was a finite run. And at the same time, over the summer, I went to Boston Comic-Con, and I met Bernie Wrightson, and I really liked a lot of the saga of the Swamp Thing stories, but I hadn't read the original Swamp Thing run. And oh, I knew, boy. I knew Bernie Wrightson from an illustrated version of Frankenstein that he did, yeah, which was great. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I saw him, he had all these prints, I bought a Swamp Thing print, but I also wanted something for him to sign, like a comic for him to sign, so I end up finding a reprint, a DC special reprint that uh, collected the first two issues of Swamp Thing, and I got him to sign that, went home, read it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to go back and read this original Swamp Thing series. So now I've got these two things. And and also during Secret Origins, I was telling people, you know, somebody's got to start a Swamp Thing podcast in the future. So it just became, okay, well, Night Force and Swamp Thing, I could do both. Oh, once we get to the saga of the Swamp Thing issues, you know, there was those Phantom Stranger backup strips. And I was like, <laughs> can we do a Phantom Stranger? Well, Rob's the Phantom Stranger guy. I've got to have him on that. So then I, <laughs> I asked you, I was like, would you want to do a Phantom Stranger podcast? Well, what if it was only a couple times a year? And you were like, yeah. Yeah, and then I think you threw out, it's like, you know what, my favorite DC horror story, and you mentioned the one that we're going to be talking about. Ah, yes. And within that, it just sort of spiraled. I was like, okay, this show is going to be an anthology. I'm going to talk about some Swamp Thing comics, some Phantom Stranger comics, some Dead Man comics, some Spectre, and a few things in between. 
And all of that leads us to this very first premiere issue where we are talking about a story called The Demon Within. This story was originally published in House of Mystery issue 201, cover dated April 1972, but according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, it would have hit the streets on February 15th that year. It was the fourth out of five stories in that issue, but it clearly stood out above many of its contemporaries because this story has been reprinted five times, according Mm -hmm. to Mike's Amazing World. The first time, it was included in the 1977 Best of DC Treasury Edition. In 1982, the story was reprinted in DC Blue Ribbon Digest, issue 24, which collected 13 stories from House of Mystery and House of Secrets. Other places where the story has been reprinted are Wrath of the Spectre, issue 4, Welcome Back to the House of Mystery, issue 1, and the Showcase Presents House of Mystery, volume 2, trade paperback. The story is plotted and edited by Joe Orlando, scripted by John Albano, and illustrated by Jim Aparo. (laughs) I guess the trick to working on the story was you needed to have a monosyllabic first name starting with J and a (laughs) three-syllable last name beginning with a vowel and ending with an O. No Italians need not apply. (laughs) Rob, when did you first read the story? Or maybe I should ask, in what format did you first read the story? Uh, I first discovered it in the Treasury Edition, the best of DC uh, number 52. And I still remember, I've, I've bought thousands of comic books in my lifetime. I still remember where I was and exactly at the moment I bought the Treasury. I remember what store it was. I remember that it was inside a mall. I, I still have like the sense memory <laughs> of picking up that book. And that's this story just blew me away. And it clearly, you mentioned that it's been reprinted a lot, but it clearly blew away a lot of people at DC because that Best of DC Treasury was not a, you know, year's best because this story is five years old by this point. Mm -hmm. So why someone at DC would remember a little seven-page one-off story that was published five years ago to reprint is sort of amazing. Like, I'd love to track down the editor of that Treasury and find out, why did you pick this story? Out of, you know, there were hundreds of other stories that have been published since then, but obviously it's stuck in somebody's craw. Because, you know, it was dusted off and put in this nice big format. And who doesn't love seeing Jim Aparo's work at that size? Absolutely. Yeah, and I remember because you mentioned when we were first kind of talking about, okay, what would this podcast be like? What stories? And you kind of threw out, it's like my favorite horror story is The Demon Within. And you mentioned, I was like, oh, and I, I kind of looked it up briefly. I'm like, yeah, it's in the second volume of House of Mystery Showcase. I don't have that one. I only have the first one. And you were like, well, it was also in this Treasury edition. I was like, hey, that's the one Treasury that I have. I was like, it's a good got, one to have. I've got that DC Treasury. And I, I went back and I reread it, and I now have that Blue Ribbon Digest issue that has a lot of the House of Mystery and House of Secrets, and there are some great stories in that Digest, but this one does stand out, and that's mm-hmm. that's really why I wanted this to be the first story that we talk about, and you were always going to be my guest on this first episode. Yay! So, <laughs> yeah, you should feel good about that. I do. I feel wonderful. I'm, I'm super looking forward to the rest of this show, like this this whole podcast. I think this is such a great idea, and I'm as thrilled as I am to be on the first episode. I'm looking forward to some subsequent episodes. This is going to be a really fun show. Me too, and I I certainly hope so. So let's talk about the story that we're here to talk about. We open in the suburban home of the Winters family. Little Kathy Winters reads a book in the living room, unaware that a grotesque, gremlin-like monster climbs up the back of her chair. The monster touches Kathy on one shoulder. She screams in fright and runs to her mother, while the monster runs up the stairs, giggling in childish glee all the while. 
A moment later, Kathy's father, Gary Winters, comes home from work. Mildred tells her husband about the creature, which went upstairs toward their son, little Gary's room. The family searches upstairs, but all they find is little Gary alone in his bedroom. Mr. Winters asks his son if he saw the grotesque creature. Little Gary just snickers under his breath, and Winters suspects the boy might be guilty. He asks if Gary put on a mask to scare his sister. Gary says he didn't need a mask. He's actually magic. Then, while both his parents and sister stare in horrified amazement, a small, handsome boy controls his childish facial and body muscles into a gruesome abnormality. The next morning, Gary's family sits at the breakfast table, visibly shaken by what happened last night. Kathy is doubly upset when Gary comes down acting like nothing happened. Mr. Winters tells his son to promise he'll never use that type of magic again. Meanwhile, Gary's mother fumes, Imagine the insufferable embarrassment it would cause me if anyone were to discover my son was an oddity. Likewise, Kathy is terrified that her friends will find out and assume there's something wrong with her, too. Gary begs his parents to let him use his power. He would never hurt anyone, but his father forbids him. Gary goes to school, but he's unable to commit to his promise, and he turns into a monster to scare his classmates. Mildred Winters is called to the principal's office and told Gary cannot return to school until the staff can be assured he will not change again. Outside the school, Mrs. Winters admonishes her son for embarrassing the family like this. She calls her husband from the payphone, telling him how humiliated she is. Then she hears a sudden commotion and sees that Gary changed into the monster again right there on the street to shock a busload of strangers passing by. Early the next morning, before any of their neighbors are about, the Winters hurry little Gary into the car and drive off. He asks his parents if they're sending him away because he was naughty. His mother thinks naughty is an understatement. Our prominence, Mr. Winter says, our respectability, our entire standing in this town could be lost if we don't act now. They drive Gary to Caulfield Hospital, where the doctor subjects the boy to countless tests and procedures to determine how best to cure him of this strange ability. A week later, after shock therapy fails, the doctor and the Winters family agreed that a lobotomy is the best treatment for Gary. Ten days after the operation, a couple of neighbors walk by the Winters' home, commenting on how upstanding and sophisticated the family is. Mr. and Mrs. Winters are truly a credit to the community, the gentleman says. Even their children are models of good behavior, especially their little boy. And we close in on little Gary sitting quietly on the grass, his eyes blank, his expression hollow, all trace of life and thought taken away. Rob, what did you think of The Demon Within? Well, I, I mean, I still think it's a little mini masterpiece. It's not subtle. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> as, it's as subtle as a brick. But who cares? You know, I mean, it wasn't. it's not meant to be read for the first time when you're an old man like I am. It's supposed <laughs> to be read when you're a child, you know, or like an, an adult. And it's using the classic trope of using a genre to tell a story about something else. Mm-hmm. And this is clearly, this is a family that cannot tolerate you know, losing uh, its, you know, station. And so they're going to do whatever they have to 
I mean, the whole thing is, of course, who's the real monster, of course. And the real monster are the parents because they're willing to lobotomize their child just because he has this weird thing. And I love the way a parent, I mean, of course I do. I love the way a parent draws it. That demon that Gary can turn into is scary, but also kind of comical. So there's like, it's you, you sort of, you're not, you're scared, but you're not terrified because he's just sort of like a, he looks like a big green potato kind of. He's really (laughs) not, it's not like he turns into like a 10 foot, you know, thing that could rip you apart. I mean, he looks, you know, you're not that scared of him um and you know in the i i don't know the history of this but you know we were lobotomizing people who did not I, I, let me let me be very careful what i'm about to say i didn't mean to say didn't deserve it right. we we were lobotomizing people willy-nilly not that long ago you know mm-hmm. and so this story was written in 1972 we're, i mean that's a storyline in uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest the, the the play and then of course the movie which came out a couple of years after this the idea of people that are just difficult they're not mentally ill they're not threats to themselves or to others they're just really difficult well let's take out part of their brain and that'll do it and you know that that the, the the poor that panel the final panel of gary just staring off into space is just to me it's heartbreaking because the kid is not a bad kid he doesn't even really fully understand the panel where he talks about are you going to give me away mm-hmm. like that's that's really awful you know like he really he doesn't understand you know what his parents are just so merciless and so in seven short pages it just does the job and you know Apero is the perfect artist for this because i think if this had been handed to a lot of other artists other than the scenes with the monster it would be very boring visually because there's not a lot going on. But Apero is such a good storyteller that he makes all of these scenes really compelling visually, even though it's just people talking. Right. You know, I mean, the stuff with the monster is only a couple of pages and the splash page is just fantastic. The demon looming over the kid on the table. That image has burned itself into my brain and it'll never leave. The amount of detail and texture, like I've been in that room. Oh, I've been in their wonderful. Room. I've yeah. seen that. I've seen that page for years and I never noticed until fairly recently that the mom is in the background. Mm-hmm. I never even noticed that. I just look at the kid and the demon. I just think it's I, I think it's just a perfect little story and it just gets in and gets out and tells this little moral that's a perfect thing to hear about when you're and of course if you're a kid who's reading comics, you're maybe kind of maybe a weird kid. So, you know, you can relate to poor Gary and that he's just off the beaten path and he just happens to be born into these parents that, you know, can't deal with that. Yeah. And I'll get to that in a second. But like, go, yeah, going back to what you were saying about the art and the way Aparo crafts and and the way he designed this uh, this little demon, this gremlin monster type of thing. You're right. It looks nasty. It looks gross. It looks gruesome. But I don't get that sense of violence from it. It doesn't right. seem scared, like it's that dangerous. You're not scared dangerous. it's going to kill you. Yeah, right. you're not right. Right, yeah. Like, I mean, uh, certainly if you saw that, you would have the same reaction that the girl has, which is natural, which is what the kid is doing. He's, he's trying to scare his older sister. He thinks it's funny. But that's it. Like, yeah, you don't think, like, this thing isn't going to, like, rip somebody's heart out or something. Like, it's not that level of monster. And it's so, more like a gremlin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you do have to ask, who is the monster of the story? And you're right. It is the family. It is their willingness to sacrifice their child's health in order to maintain the image that they're this good, upstanding family. So so by extension, the society. And I think, I think you're right. Like, you can make little Gary, you know, a stand-in for any kid who feels, like, ostracized or who feels like he doesn't belong. That could be kind of a nerdy kid who, you know, reads comics or something. You could put any sort of subgroup into that. Um, yep. The family that is intolerant of a gay child, yep. uh, a family that doesn't know how to deal with a child who may suffer from autism or, you know, Asperger's or any kind of mental condition or disorder, basically just anything that isn't 
part of what they consider their mainstream normal life that they're trying to present, they're, yeah, they're willing to just destroy their son. They, they send him to a doctor who cuts part of his brain out. And yeah, that final image of the kid just sitting there, like the only thing that's missing, the only thing that Aparo didn't draw because it would be too on the nose would be like drool and like spittle yeah. coming out of his lips. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. He just sits there and he's just kind of just, he's just vacant. Yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, it's really, I said, it's a, it's a wonderful little gem. It really is. And it's just, and it's because when I saw it, when I did in the form of a treasury and it just, it, I mean, I've read other stories since, but that one just, I'm just like, yeah, I've, I've loved it from the first time I read, even as a little kid, I understood it. You know, I, I got it. And to me, it's just, you know, the more I've learned over time about how people can treat their children, I've had some sort of experience with that a little bit. And, you know, yeah, there are people who get really caught up in, you know, looking presentable. And if some, if someone even in their own family doesn't fit into that pre-prescribed picture, watch out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I love that they did this story. I think it's a great thing. And, and, you know, I mean, I love stories with monsters and demons. I mean, I love all that stuff, but I, I like that this is just so different than what you would typically get. It really is more of a human scale monster story. Right. And as you said, like to put Jim Aparo on the story, oh. like, I, I mean, I'm so familiar with his work on Batman, but just sort of superheroes in general and getting a story that is so different but just the panels on page three when little Gary is just kind of like snickering and laughing that <laughs> yeah. he has this secret and his parents don't know. And his father over his shoulder kind of suspecting. It looks so good. I like the way he draws Gary with this red sweater. I think I was telling you when we weren't recording that this kid reminds me of Billy Batson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. I, I'm picturing the, the alternate, uh, the other Earth where uh, this kid shouts Shazam and turns into uh, a green gremlin, you know, Captain Marvel monster. I love the process of him turning into the little gremlin because oh, he, yeah. he's like he's like yeah, it's like flexing. <laughs> he's got to like concentrate. Like it's <laughs> and it's not just like the like the way the school responds to it and everything. Like I, I think yeah, the, the, how how cavalier the doctor is about experimenting and like yeah, well, like even, all right, yeah, even as a throwaway line, they're like, well, shock therapy didn't work on the kids, so we're going to do this now. It's like right. I mean that they gloss over that like that poor kid has just been subjected to torture for a week, but we don't see it, and you're like, oh my god. Yeah. That's why. You know? I, that's oh. why I think it's it's not just the parents that are the monsters in it, like the yeah. real demons. It's it's everybody who isn't this kid. It is the entire world, the whole society that yeah. has this perfect image of what this family needs to be. And yeah, and as so many of DC's like you know horror stories have that you know that twist ending where you know you get the final reveal of oh no it was a vampire or you know we get this like yeah. kind of monstrous turn at the end. This story flips it. No, we give they give you the monster from the beginning, mm-hmm. and the twist at the end is just this like gut punch where you're like oh oh this kid wasn't the pr- this kid was never the problem. Like this kid is just this he's the victim of. You know, the, a society and these adults who are just willing to subject him to this level of brutality for their own whims. And that's the real horror of it. Yeah, I mean, everything is glossed over. So, I mean, at only seven pages, they right. don't have time right. to get into stuff. But, like, they never really they, – they tell him just once, don't do that again. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, well, maybe you need to explain a little more why this is be very troubling. So, Gary, maybe we can take you out on the weekends and you can turn into your little gremlin and run around. But just don't do it at school. But, like, they almost want him to just blindly follow their instructions without ever explaining it. You know, they're just like, just don't do it. It's like, well, the kid clearly can do it. And it's a weird thing. And, of course, he's a little kid and he wants to do weird things because that's what you do when you're a little kid. And the fact that they are just so blithe, lively, kind of like. Gary, just listen to us. And he's like, no, you won't. Okay, well, shock therapy and then, okay, lobotomy. That's fine. Yeah, it's, it's a power. <laughs> it's a sad story. I mean, I kind of feel bad that the first story we're talking about for your podcast 
is more sad than scary, but you know, and that's what it. I mean, it's in House of Mystery, so it counts. Well, it's sad, but it's also it's powerful, and it shows yep. the evil that men can do, which is kind of the the scariest thing. And it's yep. We, I don't know. We we live in a culture that even still, you know, forty years after the story was published, that we still have issues of conformity that are uh, that can be quite terrifying in our culture. So yeah, yeah. Well, Rob, thank you very, very much. Do you have any final thoughts on the story before we go? Uh, anybody can find it. As uh, you pointed out, it's been reprinted many, many times in many, many places. Small, big, you know, like DC's done it in every format possible. I don't know if it's available on Comixology or something, but um, I, I think it's worth tracking down. I mean, he said you'll, it'll take you two minutes to read it, but I just think it's a great little story. And of course, any of those books that you can find it in comes with a bunch of other great stuff. So the, the, specifically, the, the Treasury has some of the best material DC's ever done. Yeah, so yeah. While, while I can't necessarily, you know, spend 50 bucks to go get yourself DC Limited Collector's Edition number 52, if you ever see that book for sale and you can pick it up cheap, get it. It's got a great Neil Adams cover. The kid is on the cover, which is mm-hmm. great. Neil Adams drew the kid. He's there with Batman. And there's a there's a fire hair story by Joe Kubert. There's a, a one off story called A Dirty Job by Alex Toth, which is one of the best things he's ever done for DC. So that truly is a best of DC collection. There are some great stories in that book. Yeah, I picked up that treasury a couple of years ago and didn't have to spend that much on it. Yeah, you can get a beat up copy for yeah. a couple of bucks. I spent a few more quarters to get the uh, the House of Mystery, the Blue Ribbon Digest. That one cost me, but mm-hmm. that one is also that is going. I'm going to milk that for all it's worth for this podcast. And that is the funny thing. Like I was going to say, like I've read this story in two different formats. Neither one is the standard sized of a comic. <laughs> right. I've read the enlarged version, which is gorgeous, and I've read the smaller, uh, the digest size. So, whatever another format DC comes up with, it will be. Re- printed in that as well <laughs> it better be so well rob thank you very much for being my first guest on midnight the podcasting hour where else can people find you online if they want to hear more from you well you can just go to our network which this show is uh, we're very happy that the show is, is on the network fireandwaterpodcast.com is where you can find all the shows who's who fire and water pod dylan uh, film and water the whole bit so we're very i'm, I'm really thrilled for the show i'm i look forward to future episodes because all the stuff you're going to be covering i like so i will be really excited to be listening to this and you will be back from time to time yay not sure when exactly but you'll be back for some phantom stranger stories you're definitely going to come back for one of the jim aparo drawn specter stories yeah baby uh, and folks i can tell you more about that for now we're going to take a short little break to play some promos for other podcasts you might enjoy After that break, I will tell you more about what you can expect from the podcasting hour going forward. Stick around. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see... You are about to see... Because you demanded it. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. Hello, friend. This is Christopher Woolnut with a very important message for you. Beware of monsters. Yes, friend, beware of monsters. International best-selling author Jeremy Robinson 
along with BewareOfMonsters.com, feel this message is so important, they have commissioned me to start this podcast to get the word out. Please, Beware of Monsters. Each week, the Beware of Monsters podcast will talk to experts and authors about the monsters from film, literature, from comic books, video games, from any place we find them lurking. Beware of Monsters. You can find more information by searching Beware of Monsters in iTunes, your podcatcher program, or the RSS feed on BewareOfMonsters.com. This podcast is in its infancy, but you can join us now and watch it grow like a mad experiment in a secret lab in an underground bunker somewhere in New England as it gets out of control, consuming all around it in its mad quest to control the world. Friend, beware of monsters. Each week, presented by Jeremy Robinson and BewareOfMonsters.com. That was The Demon Within, reviewed by me and my special guest, Rob Kelly. So, what can you expect on the next episode of this podcast, which should come out on November 14th, because the show should hopefully adhere to a bi-weekly schedule? Episode 2 will kick off the Swamp Thing feature in this rotating series. Those episodes will be hosted by me and Ben Avery, who hosts the Comic Book Time Machine podcast, and Welcome to Level 7, a podcast devoted to the television side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ben and I will begin our Swamp Thing coverage with a spotlight on the character's creation and history, and follow that up with a review of Swamp Thing's first sort of appearance in House of Secrets issue 92. From there, the Swamp Thing episodes of Midnight will function like an index show. That is, Ben and I will review Swamp Thing's appearances chronologically, starting with the first series published in the 1970s. I am really excited to be working with Ben on these episodes. We've recorded in the past for my two different Star Wars podcasts. He has a passion for those swamp or muck-based characters like Swamp Thing, Man-Thing, The Heap, The Glob. Once Ben and I get that first episode under our belt, we may welcome the occasional guest host. I've already heard from more than one person who loves Swamp Thing and they want to talk about these stories, so we'll see how that shakes out. Episode 3 of Midnight, the podcasting hour, will cover the first appearance of Dead Man in Strange Adventures issue 205. This time, I'm partnering up with Doug Zavisha, a writer for Comicosity and the Doom Patrol blog MyGreatestAdventure80.com. Doug is a big Dead Man fan. We covered his origin together on my Secret Origins podcast. Similar to the Swamp Thing feature, the Dead Man episodes will follow a chronological indexing format, at least to start with. After Doug and I cover the first major story arc from Dead Man's Strange Adventures appearances, who knows, we might jump forward and review more recent stories, or maybe Doug will take a hiatus while a new guest helps me cover a different character. We'll see. When we get to episode 4 in December, Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast will help me chronicle the story of Night Force. This series is one of the reasons I really wanted to do this DC horror podcast. Night Force was a crazy series. I don't know if a lot of people read it or remember it, but it's from the creative team of Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan, the same crew that produced Tomb of Dracula. 
Paul and I are going to start off with a review of the Night Force preview that appeared in New Teen Titans issue 21, and I also tracked down an old issue of Amazing Heroes featuring an interview with Marv Wolfman about the series' origins. After that, we'll cover the 14 issues of the series, usually two issues per episode. Which brings us to the fifth episode and the fifth regular feature, The Spectre. You already heard Rob and I praise Jim Aparo's art on this episode. You're going to hear a lot more of that when my guests and I cover the Wrath of the Spectre stories that originally appeared in Adventure Comics. Yes, I said guests, plural, because these stories are so cool that I had to share them with a lot of podcasting friends. On the Spectre episodes, you'll hear from the irredeemable Shag from the Fire and Water Network, Nathaniel Wayne from Council of Geeks, Kyle Benning from King Size Comics Giant Size Fun, Mike Gillis and Casey Doran from Radio vs. the Martian, comics artist Howard Simpson, and yeah, I'ma bring Rob Kelly back for one or two of these stories. Then, when we get to episode 6, this whole cycle begins again with a new guest and a random story or two from one of DC's horror anthologies. Then episode 7 will be the second Swamp Thing episodes, and so forth. You get it. This is the plan for now. Things might change going forward. That is always a possibility. There are lots of things that I want to get to that haven't been officially scheduled yet, like some Phantom Stranger stories that might take up the random horror story slot from time to time. I also want to cover the Madame Xanadu stories from Doorway to Nightmare and the I Vampire Saga from House of Mystery. Maybe those will take over once I finish Night Force or the first Dead Man story arc. I don't know. I'm leaving myself lots of room to adapt for this podcast because there's just so much material to cover. And with a bi-weekly release schedule, we're still talking about years before we get through the first Swamp Thing series. So there you have it. That's what you can look forward to if you follow this podcast. I sure hope you do. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it would be awesome if you left feedback on the Fire and Water website post for this episode, or on Facebook or Twitter. And of course, some iTunes reviews would be great as they help more people discover this show. Now I hear the bell tolling in the distance, which means it's time to say goodbye, and thanks for listening. Hour is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Midnight the Podcasting Hour. You can find Ryan on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or send him an email at rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Midnight the Podcasting Hour is not affiliated with DC Comics the views expressed belong solely to the speaker. Music for this podcast is produced by Neil Daly. Any additional music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening, and have a happy Halloween.